Welcome to the Les Spellman Podcast, where we redefine how athletes develop speed by giving them the tools to play faster. So welcome back, guys. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is something that I've really just been focused on for the past couple past couple weeks is it's been my it's been like my training programs, but it's been a little bit deeper than just training. For me, it's about inducing stress willingly. And, you know, think about the two two states of my nervous system, sympathetic and parasympathetic, or fight or flight. And 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 just really being able to tap into that fight or flight mode with the sympathetic nervous system versus um, the restorative, like calm, you know, relaxing uh, one and, and willingly doing that. So the, the only time I experience stress is not just when stress arises, it's it's willingly putting myself into those mind states and then being able to stay calm while feeling like my body wants to quit or give up or my anxiety starts to rise, my heart rate starts to rise. So my training has been also, I mean, obviously it's been about running 20 miles per hour, but it's been a lot about managing um, my, my sympathetic state and, and seeing if I can get myself to relax within the chaos and, and while I'm at war. Um, and, and what I've seen over the past couple of weeks is like, I've seen more of a calm when stress arises. So like, you know, let's say you hit 10 stress points a day, my body recognizes those stress points and it goes back to my training and says, it's okay. Like you can relax. It, it's safe. Um, and basically what my nervous system is doing when I'm in that sympathetic state is saying like, there's a massive threat right now. You have to shut down. So I'm gonna shut down your digest- digestive tract. I'm gonna shut down, um, you know, all these things, your, your bowel movements, like all the, all these organs that typically should be flowing and working. I'm gonna shut those down and direct all the energy towards you being alert. So you being able to see better, hear better, like, I'm not gonna let you feel things. I'm not gonna let you like, um, be aware of yourself. And what happens is like, I'll forget to eat. I'll forget to drink. I'll forget to take care of myself. I'll forget to do things like that. I would do as a normal human because I'm in this high sympathetic state typically, but what I've realized now is like by training in this, this way, like I've been able to recognize those states and then breathe through it and get on and find, you know, put myself back in a parasympathetic state, even though I might be experiencing high stress, um, which has been just a game changer for me. So I, I, I think that like our culture pushes like avoiding stress. And I think that's really, really actually a poor way to think about it because when you avoid stress, you're actually teaching yourself that as stress comes, there's actually a, a real threat. Like your body doesn't know the difference between being at war and then, you know, whatever stress you're experiencing at home. So teaching yourself that, that there is no real threat and, and you need to back off a little bit and allow like your sympathetic states to come in so you can get your digestive tract back in and motion and be your breathing back in motion and let your eyes calm down a little bit. Like I've really been focused on that. And that's what the ice bath has been about. And that kind of leads me into my guest today, my guy, my guy, Taylor, um, Taylor and I've known each other years. Like I was a big fan of his in San Diego and he came up to at the time it's called Mamba Sports Academy, not Sports Academy. And he started off, you know, just worked his way up and now basically runs a show here. And we've been working together for some years now, starting in 2019, we're both like very low level. And then, um, so now we, you know, we've been working together, just him and I the past two years. And it's been crazy. Like the results I've seen have been insane. And really like last year we had the guys, we had two, two guys that were with us that went first round, um, here in LA. 
And, you know, the thing that I saw was like, these guys were monsters and I, I wasn't really aware of what was happening. Like I knew the program and it would tell what I was doing, but I didn't, I didn't really tap in. But this year I've been tapping in. I've been in every weight room session. Um, I've been doing the workouts. I've been his assistant and I'm like blown away by the results. And I was like, Hey, Tay, like I got to get you on the podcast today. So that's why I got Tay here today. Um, and I'm just going to be like hitting him with some questions. We'll have some discussions. And we'll just be kind of going through what we're doing this year for combine. So uh, I guess Tay, the first question is really just give me like the layout, like what does training look like? What's the philosophy, whatever, like wh what is this year about? So the biggest thing I think this year is, is I think definitely community. Um, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of troubleshooting and there's a lot of things to figure out when you bring in multiple teams to work within the same setting and to bring in your team, which is you do have a full team and, to work with our team we have a full team and we have a full medical team as well um so the the team that works with the combine is we have you know three four coaches with sports academy three four coaches with spellman we have two three people on our medical staff we have our nutritionist yoga teacher and and then like six massage therapists and multiple other people that are in in the process and involved so communication is a huge piece of it so just making sure that one that people are I don't want to say staying in your own lane because we can all kind of overlap, but just making sure that you're not stepping on each other's toes, making sure that you're allowing space and kind of honoring the process that everyone else brings to the table. Um, like I know that you're the expert on speed. Okay, cool. I'm going to be the assistant coach for speed. You know that I'm working in the weight room and you've offered to be the assistant coach in the weight room. Um, and all the other coaches that we work with kind of know where they fit in. But the idea is to make sure that it's seamless for the athletes so that when someone comes in here, it's... You're, you come in, you go through medical, you meet with the nutritionist, we take your uh, you know, blood sample and see what the uh, sensitivity is to, to certain foods and design your meal plan based off that. Look at your body composition and then be able to structure a plan that, that is tailored to losing the amount of weight that you would need to or gaining the amount of muscle that you would need to in order to run the times that you need to um, to not set off any red flags during this process. We don't have a lot of time. There's not everything that we can fix. So uh, focusing on developing power and developing power in the right direction, making sure that we're applying force in the right direction and making sure that we can repeat that capacity as we show up in Indianapolis. There's, you know, five, six days that, that these guys are going to be grueling through this very, very important interview. Um, so the real, the biggest thing that we're trying to do is work together and allow structure for these athletes to feel like they're being treated like professionals for the very first time. So if we treat them in a way that they have to live up to this standard and they start treating themselves where this is the first time where you really have to put in six to eight hours per day, just working on your body. And then after you train, you got to go, you know, train the mind. You have to go into recovery. You got to get in the ice bath where, and you know, Les and I both, like I ramped up maybe three weeks before the combine process and just started doing the program. And we really try to understand if we're asking these athletes to live up to the standard and to train eight times a week, nine times a week, then what are we doing in order to recover? And for us, it's like you, you kind of got to fit in where you get in. So, uh, you know, we've been training at 5 a.m. and making sure that we can fit it in there or maybe after their strength session, finishing out any accessories. Uh, but really being on point with nutrition, with taking care of the, the mentals and making sure that you're sleeping and making sure that you're taking some quiet time, some time to read and educate yourself and to build the dream bank account, so to speak. Um, those are going to be the things that we're asking them to do. So if we're not doing them themselves, then it, it 
it gets tough. Um, so training, staying consistent with training, rehab, prehab, and then jumping in the ice bath, working on breath work, getting into yoga sessions and just doing everything that we're asking athletes to do in order to feel what they're going to feel and kind of stay ahead of the curve with being able to answer their questions when concerns arise. Yeah. I love that. What are we, um, like, what are we using in the weight room to track and like, what, what's your philosophy on measurables in the weight room? Well, so, I mean, we have a lot of data that, that we're, that is kind of circulating around and over the last couple of years, obviously we've honed in on, on using, uh, like using GPS or using velocity based training and, and using things as feedback. And it kind of fits into this, like the overall management process. As, as coaches, just like in return to play in this situation, we have eight weeks to get someone somewhere like they, they have, there's, there's someone they need to be. And there's an exact test that we know that they need to pass. So in order to do this, they have to buy in. And so the things that we want to do are empower the athlete and really treat them like they're the owner of this process. They're the CEO. And like, we're just, you know, basically expert guides that it's like, if you need strength, I got you. If you need uh, nutrition, we got you. If you need speed, we got you. And it turns out that everyone needs each of these things. So it, it works well that we're here working together, but they need to be the center of it and they need to feel like they're the center of it. So empowering these athletes to see, uh, like visual v- verbal feedback, um, you know, mentors of mine and, 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 you know, some of the great things that I've learned about coaching is four most important things for coaching is really just going to be empowerment. It's going to be engagement, right? It's going to be uh, feedback. So visual, verbal, giving feedback and, and allowing people to see their own feedback, plus being able to hear feedback and be able to see other people kind of going through the same thing. And then transparency, just knowing what it, exactly the process is and what we're expecting out of people. Um, so some of the things that we're using in the weight room is like we use gym aware uh, for velocity-based training. And that really allows us to allow speed to dictate the load. If speed is king in this game and the biggest thing that people are going to be asked to do is run this 40, we want to make sure that the speeds and loads are matching the strength qualities that we're trying to develop. So anything that we're doing in the weight room, every single rep is done with intent, as you felt today during those sets of posters at 80%. That was terrible. <laughs> point, point 0.6 with 450, I'm, I wanted to die. And so the, the numbers that we'll kind of throw out, if you're going to say point 0.6, point 0.8, that's really going to be a reference to uh, meters per second. So if I say one meters per second, 0.8 meters per second, 0.6 meters per second. And they really just translate to percentages. Like if you were going to say, Hey, 60, 70, 80, 90% of your one rep max, we don't use one rep max. Uh, we do various types of testing, but we're not overly testing. And I don't need like a three rep or a five rep max. What I can do is create force velocity profile. One of the things that we did in, in our initial lifting sessions yeah. is just lifting absolute loads at different, at different points or increments. So we used uh, zero body weight, uh, 20 kilo, 40 kilo, 60 kilo, 80 kilo, 100 kilos, and just seeing which weights you're moving fast, which weights you're moving slow. Some of these guys were moving, you know, 405 the same at the same speed as they're moving 365, 315, and 225. What does that tell us? Is that they really need to focus on velocity, right? And so uh, some of the guys can can you know shoot through the roof with some of the lighter weights, and then when it gets heavier, they die out quickly. Um, so this technology has really allowed us to hone the process it, to the point where I can see every single rep and actually let speed dictate the load. So it's like, Hey man, you went too fast. I'm sorry. You have to go heavier. Yeah. So I was like, but it's not about your feelings. It's not about just guesswork. It's about this, a, a very specific science and pretty much the scientifically proven 
fastest way to make people stronger yeah. um, through this technology. And likewise, like when guys were going, dropping off to point three, point like four, we're cutting them short and saying, okay, okay you're done. Or we got to, you know, lower the weight. Right. Well, that, so. so it really allows us to, to manage the process as far as that goes as a stress management. So, uh, you know, looking at, so we'll have certain velocity loss cutoff. So if you start at point eight and I have you at it, like in the early sections, we'll, we'll let you drop off a little bit more just for hypertrophy. Some of the things that we're always trying to develop, obviously we need a little bit of hypertrophy. We only have eight weeks, so we can only do this for two weeks. Uh, and then we work on strength for a solid four and we really hone in on power and speed for the last two. Wait, let's go, let's go through that. So like, let's go through, let's actually go through the velocities that we're looking for. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Week one, two, let's go week one and two first. So week one is, is really a baseline. Um, and I, and for a baseline, I always like to get something close to a point eight, um, which is moderately fast uh, i'm not asking anyone to 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 jump with the weight you know once we get above one there there's a tendency to want to jump with it or, or jump stroke with it and kind of to to cheat the speeds which will then throw off our calculations so what i look for is going to be a 0.8 um when i get a 0.8 meters per second that tells me that we're pretty close to a starting point of like 65 percent um and that's always going to be a safe bet so if someone can move something at point eight, it's it's going to allow strength qualities to develop, but it's on the lower end of that. So then the second week, once I understand, is that mean or peak velocity? Uh, so we're going on everything that we do with strength is going to be mean velocity. So and uh, why the, the average speed for the entire movement, um, just because there's there at different points in the movement, you're going to be moving like let's say coming from the ground, especially working in starting strength, you're going to be you really have to you're going to be moving slower. Now, as you move through the different ranges of motion, you're becoming more efficient as you go through. Um, that's why you see like if someone does a quarter squat, they can do a lot more weight because those are your, your trained the most beneficial, uh, you know, uh, beneficial angles for your body to be able to move that. That's also why we use things like accommodated resistance and, and, yeah. and things like that. So the, the mean, the mean volume or the, uh, the mean velocity rather allows us to see, uh, the quality of the entire movement. Whereas if we're doing something ballistic and we're actually need to account for reactivity, then we use something like a peak velocity. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So point eight, start out. And then what, like, let's say, cause we know we have acceleration on Mondays. Like I actually talked about this last week, just about, so people understand the schedule. Monday is acceleration. What movement are we doing in the weight room? Uh, what's our main bilateral? So, uh, I mean, it's modified per, um, the needs of each athlete basically, but the, the biggest movement is going to be pushed. Um, it's a, you know, acceleration is definitely a pushing movement in, in my eyes. And so we do a low, lower body bilateral push. If at all possible, that's going to be a squat. Uh, you know, back squat is going to be the, the best way that we can add load in the ways that we're looking for and, and be as variable. Um, we are going to use different ranges of motion. We're going to use different accommodating resistance. Um, you know, we start off by working on capacity and then once we get capacity up, then we start increasing the load. So from like week one to week two, we move from 0.8 to 0.6, yeah. which is essentially is it's cracking the barrier to 80%. So if I'm moving from 65 down progressively into 80% range, I know that 85% uh, percent range is like a five rep range, but it, with the clusters that we're using, it allows us to rest just a little bit and allow us to use that higher percent. Yeah, let's go into that. So. I'm, I'm, I'm going, we're going to get through week one. So squat 0.8 clusters. Yes. Okay. Then Thursday was Thursday. Okay. What, what's our, what's our 
so Thursdays we'll typically use a tri bar, um, and and that's specifically because we want to get into the speed qualities, right? So I'm contrasting, and and you've seen this all over the industry for decades. Um, you know, Westside Barbell really made it uh, popular to use the conjugate method of doing a, a maximum effort day and then a maximum dynamic day. Now I don't go as far as to go like eighty fifty, um, but the the contrast that I'll use with the trap bars is, is typically I'll, I'll do something with a trap bar and then we're and then we're working on like a plyometric uh fast ground contact time very little very little ground contacts like we did with the bouncing over the hurdles um or doing that depth drop that we worked on so so contrasting a heavy load with something fast whereas the you know the mondays the early in the week is really just going to be focused on force uh, so force and then playing on the other side of the spectrum with velocity later in the week. Yep. So then, okay, so squat Monday, deadlift Thursday, point eight, week two, where, where are we at? So from week one to week two, the idea is to is to start getting up into the ranges that we're actually going to start training strength, and then we can use that strength to build some hypertrophy. So the, the speed would be 0.6, uh, 0.6 meters per second, roughly correlate to around 80%. Um, so we know that that is right in the middle of, the, of our max power from 75 to 85 um, and so in that, in that process, there are some ways that we'll explore uh, a PMAX, uh, kind of using some of our Kaiser pneumatics, um, using the Kaiser runner and using the Kaiser squat, using the, the, the leg press and, and different things that allow us to actually get a power reading out of it. Yeah. So I'm looking for PMAX in a way that, so let's start with the max power. Uh, yeah. So the, the point, the right between maximum force and maximum velocity is going to be PMAX, um, you know, with the velocity tracking that we're using, since we're talking that, it could be 0.75 meters per second is it is typically where your Pmax is. Um, but how we do it with the wattage is, I'll, let's say I throw on a weight at at 350, they're producing 2500. At 400, they're producing 2800. At 450, they're producing 3100. And then at 500, they go to like maybe it doesn't crack. So I know that the, the power, the most powerful point isn't 450, but it's 400. Yeah. Right. And so we can identify where people's peak max of power is so that we can actually train that quality specifically, as well as the force qualities and the velocity qualities as well. Uh, so, so from week one to week two, getting to that point eight, uh, or getting from that point eight down to point six is really going to allow us to, to increase that load. And then the following week, I'm actually going to keep the same load that I used the 0.6 and try to get it back to 0.8. So now I'm now I'm taking your 80% and I want to make it feel like 60. Yeah, I want to make it look like 60. So essentially getting stronger and finding that adaptation of now you know what this feels like. Now I'll use that same load and move it faster. And it's the same thing that we do with uh, progressing. If, like if I'm going to progress like a depth drop, yeah. I'm going to get off the ground faster before I increase the height of the drop. So with the weight, I want to move the weight faster before I increase the load, right? So I, I we we introduced it, and then we dropped into the into the actual resistance part of it, and then once I'm used to the resistance, now I want to move that faster. So if we get to point A, are we still clustered? Uh, no, no, no. Um, so well, if we get it there, I would use at that point. I'm using accommodation. So at first and it, it's it's one of those things that you could do these progressions for four weeks right yeah. you could have it you could have a capacity phase for three to four weeks and, eight, and then you can add on top of that with the clusters or, or just the basically like a anaerobic power basis uh if you're able to do those things you can build hypertrophy for six weeks um before it stops being as think as relevant to the program 
but we don't have six weeks to develop just something that's going to make you essentially slower. So we got to hammer that within two weeks. Yeah. And then I'm basically undulating every week. So it's like I'm using a, a capacity base and then a power capacity base. Uh, once we establish some form of base, now I got to use a combinated resistance. And so like that, so how, how are we going in to accommodating? So I'm going to just probably go with chains. Uh, I like, I like chains. I think that it's something that can always be used effectively. Um, you know, it's still heavy. You're going to be using that weight. And so at the top, the chains are going to be as heavy as, because uh, all the chains are off the ground. And as each link goes onto the ground, it gets lighter and lighter and lighter. So as you come into the least advantageous positions in the lower parts of the squat movement, um, so to speak, then you're, you have less weight on the bar. So at the top, with all of the chains and the weight, it's going to be the same overall weight as that 0.6 move, right? So it's like, let's say if I get my, I, my 0.8 is, is 365 and my 0.6 uh, is, is 450, right? So I take that 450 and then I'm adding, so, I, you know, 50 pounds of chains. So it's only 350 on the bar and then, and then 50 pounds of chains. So as I come down, most of that weight from the chains are actually being taken off as I go through. And then as I'm coming up, as I start to gain momentum and move through the more advantageous ranges of motion, then I'm adding more resistance to that. So I have to overcome it at that time, which is essentially playing on um, like a like a PNF and actually activating muscle while it's lengthening and, and yeah. synthesizing. Like it's, it's what week is this? Uh, so week three, we'll, we'll use the chains. Um, from then on, we, we have to get into strength moving into reactivity um so i'll do something like a i'll still keep the heavy weight and start to add band accommodation right so it's uh about the crazy thing is the load is about the same for those four weeks where i use the uh where the chains bands 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 right but the bands are going to change and it's going to be the the percentage of elasticity is going to increase while the percentage of overall weight is going to decrease but at the top it's always going to feel the same yeah. Let's say if it's 225 and I want to get start getting 225 faster and faster, I can do that with a you know a, a 50 pound band and have and have 185 pounds on there or whatever, and they can know how to move that fast. Now if I do a medium band with medium weight, so it's about even where it's 50 50 uh, coming from the band and coming from the overall load, then we start to move a little bit faster, even though it's the same load. Yeah. And then we can do a heavy band with very minimal weight. And then increase that even more so that we're training more of a reactive quality within the strength. So it's, it's, it's the same load the whole entire time, but working on different speed qualities and working on different, uh, you know, instead of a, a force base shifting more to a velocity base and allowing us to develop as much power as possible. That's dope. Yeah. So when do we get back into like the ones, like when are we, when are we flying? Uh, so in our, in our like taper weeks, um, there's a couple different, there's a couple different instances where I'll increase the speed, uh, to, to one, one of them is going to be management. Um, so in their valleys, um, we kind of have peaks and valleys as, as we've talked about in the past where, uh, we know where people are going to gain adaptations and where their numbers are going to start to jump. And we know where you're going to fall down and where we're going to have to actually come in on the back end and help you with your psychological and make sure that you're not getting down on yourself based on your numbers going down and you know you're going off to a your all-star game and you're coming back and you feel like you missed a week of training your numbers are falling off it's like we already know that that's going to happen so we have kind of systems in play to to make sure that we're mitigating that is the real thing we'll get into that like say someone does a deload i don't think that people need to deload like not typically like i don't know that anyone 
Well, not anyone. I don't know that a lot of people train hard enough to have to deload. Right. And especially if you're here for eight weeks, like you don't need to deload. No, I've seen people deload like 14 days. I'm like, bro, what? Right. Well, it's only trained for. <laughs> right. Well, you're training one hour a day and you think you need to deload. Like if you're training eight hours a day, maybe there's a point to deload. Um, and these guys are training a, a whole lot. So the way that I deload is actually increase the speed so much that the requirement of speed is, is here and they're not able to lift weight that fast. So you have to earn your way up to the weight that you want. And if you're used to doing the squat at, you know, 315 or whatever, and you can't move it at 1.2, then you have to go lighter. It's like, I'm sorry, you know, whatever. And that itself, one, they still have a goal. They're still moving as fast as you can. And there's never a point where it's like, oh, I need to get a 0.8 today. I'm going to move a little bit slower. It's maximum effort, maximum intent, every single rep. Yeah. I don't care about your feelings. I want the speed. Yeah. Right. So if we can get to, if it's 1.2, like, damn, I can't move that at 1.2. Sorry, go lighter. And that in and of itself is actually a control variable, right? So we can so we can take people's load away by increasing the speed. So there's one way that I'll, that I'll tap in to get uh, above one meters per second. And I'm still talking about means because in, in our peak velocities are always going to be in the twos and threes, right? So we, we, we want to get up into those, into those high peaks. Uh, but uh, those are going to be like the ballistic movements are going to be reserved for a little bit later in the, in the process. Um, like we still need to touch strength in week six, uh, for the residual effect of strength, probably lasting about 30 days. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, the idea is to get all the residuals from strength, power and speed and max speed, all the match up right when they're going to be running at max speed, yeah. uh, during the combine process. Yeah. So I still have to touch on speed or I still have to touch on heavy strength in week six which is why we're still doing the heavy bands. Yeah. Uh, but then fr from then on, the contrasts are high where I'm trying to get, if it's a heavy load, then I'm definitely moving fast and light as well. Um, but the last two weeks leading up to to our taper is is really focused around just moving fast, moving light. I don't care about the load. I just care about the speed. Yeah. So um, we definitely get up probably 1.0, 1.2, 1 1.4, 1 um, you know, in mean. So that's, yeah. that's pretty high. And the crazy thing is, is like, we had some of the highest RAS scores last year in the combat. Like, and I, if I look at it in total, because Texas, Thousand Oaks, and then Orange County combined, like, um, really Texas and Thousand Oaks were like some of the top places, like, to go for, not, and we're not just talking speed, because it's interesting, because like, I get a lot of comments like, oh, we just do linear speed, you just do this. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like, but we get every drill, like everything is, is fire. So like the process works and it's, it's obviously been something you've like researched and studied and gone through. Uh, and now that I'm going through, I'm like, oh, well, like, yeah, like I can feel it. Like I can actually be in this and feel this. Um, what's the one thing you want to learn now? Like what's the next thing? Like, and uh, all I really know is that I know nothing at all. Um, so my biggest goal is to learn how to be a better coach and how to connect uh, with the human nature of the athletes that I work with. I've always been a bookworm. I've always been someone who's been uh, heavily in the data science. And, and it was only after coaching for years that I really understood that. Like, man, I don't connect with people well. Uh, We're pretty good. <laughs> well, it's, it's, an, it's an effort based, it's an effort based equation. It's like, if like you run in 23 miles an hour, it's like, I'm sure you aren't fast all the time. If I'm going to run 23 easily, but it's all good. But yeah, that same for me. It's like, I think about the last couple of combines, like, even like Aiden and Icky and those guys, like I would see them one day and then I'll, I'll leave, you know, I spent no time with them. Didn't even text the guys that much, you know what I'm saying? Cause like, 
I just have a kid and this year we've been pretty good about it though, like building culture with these guys. Like, I mean, it, you know, I think that the, the time that you were spending, uh, and this guy was on a plane every weekend. Uh, so every Saturday for eight weeks, you were there. Um, and we would re- re- recalibrate. So it was another piece of technology. Like even though we're using the GPS, we'd also use that 1080. And I don't know that you knew how important that data from the 1080 was each week with me saying like, okay, cool. I'm just going to calibrate the weights. Um, the, the amount of resistance that I was using per person, uh, kind of the things that I needed to adjust on a, on a weekly basis was really, really heavily based upon the horizontal force output. So everything that we're doing in the weight room, it's, it, we try to develop horizontal force output, but it's all about vectors and there's not a lot of lifts in the weight room that you're going to be shooting out. Right. And, and cause I don't like have like crash mats, so I can't just have like people jumping on and, and, and projecting out as much. Actually I do have a crash mat. I just found yeah. So I, I had people jump in, in the crash mats at full speed. Well, like I'm blocked from three point stars. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. And so if, and if I had my way, I'd have crash mats down there. I'd have a, we, I'd not, have a, I'd have a, I'd have a, I'd have a shuttle rocket. We can't. Yeah. There's, there's, you can, that's why it's magnetic. So it can come out. Oh, we're going to see gym where it starts. For sure. We can do that. Come on. All right. Hey, yeah. No, if you listen to this, don't steal it. Don't take it. We're doing gym where it starts. We can do some How, how far can you know, can do it or our horizontal force? We're probably going to have to. Find out before we launch people out of it. Don't find out. <laughs> the good thing is yeah. the cords are probably strong. I think we have a good warranty. Jim O'Hare, if you're paying attention. Yeah, first. Uh, we'll do first. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Anyway. No, it's, yeah. Uh, well, because like, all right, so what we used last year for our peak power was a 50% P-deck, which was like 80% body mass, like pretty heavy. And like, I remember talking to you and being like, all right, Aiden is starting to go down and it's 50% P-deck, but his velocities are getting higher. So, which means that he's he's no longer able to produce force the same way he was producing it, but his velocities are starting to get higher as he's going. And then you're telling me, hey, in the weight room, this is what's happening, which was interesting for me because like I've spent so much time studying horizontal force and, and how to develop acceleration. And I hadn't really dived into the VBT stuff until like really the past year and, and just looking at, you know, how to affect it. But the crazy thing then that, that I've seen is that like, our biggest thing this year is looking at physical qualities and developing physical qualities. Like, yeah, obviously we teach technique, but I, I probably do like one or two things every speed session to adjust. Like we just did dribbles today. I gave him like two things, but most of the time we just let him run, see the outputs and then go in the weight room. And then like, I, I see such a huge carryover from what we're doing in the weight room into what we're doing on the field, which means I don't have to like go put them. So I don't have to put them in all these positions and do all this crazy stuff and teach them. It's really about getting their actual maximal output for the day. Now, if I teach, every time I teach, it interferes with that maximal output because they're thinking. And as you know, you can't think and run fast. Hey, it's a harm band activity. So, I've been so like, going, that's Simpson here, right? This speed, speed is like everything. Everything needs to happen perfectly all at once right. in order for speed to be beautiful. Right. Uh, you know, that brings up an interesting point um, for the physical qualities and not teaching as much the technique. I've let some of these weight room qualities actually teach the technique. Yeah. So, uh, and and what I mean by that is there's, I'll use positional isometrics, right? And some There's a lot of isos, by the way, but we'll talk about that. All right. So, but, but just like, you know, the holding in a position that will actually translate to the position that you need to be in during your hockey stop, during your 5-10-5, Holding an ISO position, 
in a, in a lateral lean that's going to help us run full speed around a bend for the elk on drill. Like teaching these positions by just loading you, loading you up and doing something that like athletes typically know how to lift, right? But not everyone has, about, has been taught this skill of speed. So if, if people have the skill of strength training, I can use that strength training to actually go through and get these ranges of motion that they may not have had. And it's like, and so I'll see something on the field where it's like, damn, he really, really needs to get some length right there. That's fine. Muscle doesn't lengthen. It needs to be lengthened. Yeah. So that's where, that's why the eccentrics, that's why the isometrics, that's why all the overloading and that's why the positions and specific things that we do. Um, you know, we have, there's cameras on, on everything that we do and it's not so that other people can see it. It's so that we can give that visual feedback and then I can look at something and say, Hey, look, this angle needs to change or this angle has changed yeah. over the last three weeks and we need to maintain that. Yeah. Right. So just looking at, and, and they'll all, you know, they'll look at a still picture and they're like, damn, that's the same position that we did with our ISOs. Like, yeah. okay. Yeah. And that's why we're doing it. So there's, there's no piece of the program that doesn't fit. Uh, it's interesting because, like, we studied the run specific guys, so from Alex and Tara, like, they went through this whole course. Because we have such a small group, we're able to do it. But what we're seeing is, like, guys that can produce high forces to the ankle, knee, and hip, and, like, where they're lacking in that on the force plate. And then we're retesting Saturday, so we want to see the change and see, like, how much ends up changed over the past two weeks. But, like, we're able to see, like, okay, if someone's not producing force at the ankle, well, they're not going to have a really good toe-off position, or if they're not producing force at the hip, they're not going to have a good extension. So sometimes we fix these physical qualities and those start to clean up, which is really interesting. It's almost backwards from how I started, where I thought everything was technical and the weight room was kind of like secondary, and all you had to do was concentric only deadlifts and you'd be fast. You know what I'm saying? Like I literally at one point was doing deadlifts, concentric only, with a couple accessories, and, and going in a day and trying to get the max output. I'm not saying that doesn't work because it does, but there are things you can clean up um, on the physical side, especially when you only have eight weeks. Like, yes, technique is important. So before I get trolled on the internet saying technique's not important, you're, it, it is over time. But if you look at what we have to do is we don't have time. Like if I make technical changes to athletes, they're going to, some of them are going to be slower. Now, you, there are some big rocks that I have to address. Like if it's a range of motion thing, if it's like, how they're striding or if they're doing crazy, like we have some guys that do crazy things, but those are, those are one to two day things I could start cleaning up, but big technical changes. Like I'm not going to fully change someone's uh, posture when they're running in eight weeks. Like it's impossible. And if I tried to, I might break. But what we can start to do is start to load them in those positions and start to actually see the changes transfer over from a physical standpoint uh, without even much coaching, you know? So what I found is our sessions, after the first two weeks actually get shorter, higher outputs and more of like the field kind of becomes a weight room. We have target velocities. We have target ranges, target things like that. Like, you know, it's the same as what we do on the VBT side where you have a target velocity, you have a target load and you go and get it. Um, and that's when it becomes fun. So by the last three weeks, it's like guys know where they're at. Like they're not second guessing saying, I wonder if I'm going to run fast at the combine. It's like every single time they touch the field, they're running faster that's a fun thing to do because you know the next time I run is going to be faster so yeah it's interesting man I'm grateful we're doing this together and like oh, it's been a ride for sure yeah and and so likewise with with um, Les kind of consulting with me about strength I was consulting with him about speed um, so you know me out there running all the running all the sessions and mimicking the drills and 
you know, I, I'm pretty athletic. Um, I did a good job, but killed it. Uh, but one of the biggest things I had to tell people is like, look, like you're the prospect, like you're the athlete. So if, you know, if I'm asking you to do something, I'm, I'm really asking for self orientation. Yeah. So I really wasn't teaching technique as much last year. I'd, I'd teach them the drills. I would do it. Like, Hey, am I doing this right? It looks right. It's right enough. Cause yeah. you know, it, it's working. Um, but the, for me, it's, it's always been the physical qualities developing yeah. We know the best drill for, for sprinting and sprinting. Hey, not sprinting is not sprinting. You're right here. Yeah. I mean, you just, you have to sprint. You have to get the outputs, but it's, you have to be creative on how you get to maximal sprint speed. So like, for for example, like we started off with the 10, 10 fly today, where we had a 10 build into a 10 fly and then we progressed to a 10 build, 20 fly. Then we go to a 20 build, 10 fly. And you know what I'm saying? We progress it. So like, if you progressively get to velocities that are near maximal output, it's above 90% and gradually get towards that hundred percent. And then once you get there, you start to push that threshold up. Like anybody can really, can really do that. Now there are things that you're going to have to, to assist with like the warm up, the drill sets, the resisted runs, those types of things. But I would say like the level of difficulty to create a speed plan it, it you know to get someone faster is actually not very hard now to do combine is hard because you're teaching a specific race that has no opponent you're running by yourself in a cold um you know facility with no one in there it's it's weird you know what i'm saying but if i'm saying i want to go from 20 miles per hour to 22 miles per hour that is a task but it's not possible and you can do it and like i mean i i literally started at 18 six miles per hour no i didn't post that but I did, and I just ran 21.02 the other day, and I'm going to 23. But it's really not that hard. Just it's progressive, and it takes time. And I might go run 20 miles per hour tomorrow and feel like trash, but it's a wave. And you have to understand that the wave is going to be dictated by my volume and my intensity. So, like, for example, these two weeks, I'm not expecting their peak outputs because we have cluster sets of 0.6. I mean, it's it's in grind. Like, really just a long road is capacity so we don't expect you to sprint on a long road all right so i know if i'm touching 90 95 percent these guys are running 20 21 miles per hour that's a positive sign this week well next week i'm going to expect probably close to 95 percent you know 21s and the week after i'm expect probably a, a, a decline because of the fatigue and that's expected so i'll probably do more resisted running so those types of things like that's where it can get creative and more difficult but overall the, the themes of sprinting follow the themes of strength and conditioning because we're not talking it the body doesn't understand the difference necessarily like sprinting just happens to be on one far side of the spectrum whereas lifting weights is is on the beginning of the spectrum and there's like a whole bunch of things in the middle of there and and really what we're doing is we're training power and how we get there uh you know from resistant running to high velocity running to heavy strength training to fast training we're just surfing that curve and targeting points on that curve at different times to get the maximal outputs. And I think that's the most fun thing is like working with you. It's like, we, we, we talk about that curve. Where are we at in the curve? Okay, let's make this happen. Let's adjust this. Whereas I've been in strength programs that are just like, we're going to, we're going to lift heavy here and then do this here. And then it's not working the curve. So I just like the immediate feedback that, that you get yeah. with, with looking at something like that and, and the intent that get, that comes with every rep in order to do so. And that kind of brings up what you were saying, uh, an interesting point about management too, is like, how long does it take to develop speed? Well, 
we talked about the residual of strength being 30 days. What do you think the residual of speed is? Yeah, it's like three to five days. Three days, right? Yeah. So, it's so days. like we touch it up. So once we get there, now it's like it, it might be dangerous to run hot at, at you know, 95, 100% all the time. Yeah. So we just need to be careful to touch top speed damn near every three days once we develop it. So yeah. that's so once we get there, we got touch, yeah. touch, touch. But we're hitting hot top speed in a hallway. In a hallway. I'm I'm after guys <laughs> hitting nine, you know, wearing wearing shoes and 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 with athletic tape taped on carpet. Uh Indianapolis, if anyone from Indianapolis and planning, why isn't there a field or a weight room available? We don't know. If you're in Indy, reach out. <laughs> but <laughs> I still I love the hallway. But the no the hotels the hotels and the hallways have become home for us. And you know, so we, we have our, our whole clinic, our our uh, chiropractors, our, our physical therapists, our athletic trainers, uh, massage therapists, speed coach, strength coach are all in this, you know, we have a suite. So and definitely, you know, even though the guys are in meeting after meeting, after medical, after interview for 11 hours, after not eating since 6am and they have to come and work out at 1130 PM or yeah. Yeah, so right before midnight and still have to get their speed session in and hit top speed before they get to bed. You know what I want to do this like, year though? Uh, and I talked to Don Al from Play about this. We're going to get a, a rack. Red. We're going to get a like, uh, waiter. There's one thing I need it. Well, I want the guys to look. We're going to get a turf strip too. So we're going to lay down a turf strip in the hallway. But I want, yeah, like, I've learned it. It's like, bring the field, bring the gym to us. No, honestly, like, we're just going to create a facility and it's going to be dope. But yeah, this is, this is part one. We'll probably have like six more of these because like as we get to the valley, we've alluded to, but I don't want to tell too much. Um, I worry that's a hard part to be in. So we're going to talk through that. Um, we're going to talk through peaking. We're going to talk through man, everything. I think we'll probably be on this a couple of times. So yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um, like I say, always at the end, please share this. If you like it, if you don't like it, share it twice. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much. If you have any questions, like hit us. Taylor's links will be in the in the bottom of this uh, bottom of this episode. So Instagram, Snapchat. I don't know if you have Snapchat. If you ate that or not, but Twitter. Do you have TikTok? You know, TikTok. I got a Twitter. Uh, but you're on TikTok. Another thing is, so I'm the director of education at Sports Academy. If this is something that you're interested in, uh, really apply for the internship if it's something that you have four months of time that you can dedicate to learning if you're coming from school if you want to learn how to become a coach want to learn the the ins and outs of basically all the things that we're talking about uh you know on cert like at service level and then go into depth about all of this like how to really apply the research how to apply the science how to 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 work within a high performance environment and how to implement the the different softwares and the different teams and different strategies and methodologies and, and wrap that up into a package that you can actually make money off of. Come see me, apply for the internship. Uh, we'll have some things coming up along the way that'll help with that as well. Yeah, and like for real, like don't be don't be shy about that. Like I'm in the internship program with Taylor for strength. You know what I mean? Like you can never stop learning. And Taylor's with Ramsey taking his course. You know what I'm saying? So like you have to continue. It doesn't matter where you're at in the industry. Like part of the reason why I'm here is to learn, you know, um, Everywhere I go, I think about learning. But I, I can't tell you how many people that have fumbled the bag when it comes to this internship. Like, dude saying, oh, I want to be there, you know, go through the whole process and they don't show up. Or people come late when they get here, they'll put the work in. I'm telling you, I've only, I'm only been beat by one person in the mornings getting here. And, that, and he gets here at 4. But if I'm here at 5 a.m. and you guys stroll in with the coffee cup at 7.30, 
Like it's just hard for me. I mean, it's 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 seven fifteen p.m. We've been here since four forty five this morning. So, like this part of the year, you have the best opportunity to learn fast and to grow and to like be all in on something. And my family knows it. My family comes in like and they get it. But like this is the best opportunity to learn under pressure. And if you can't handle the pressure, like yeah, don't apply. But you need pressure in order to grow. Like you leave this environment, you'll have a job. And, and not only have a job, but you'll be able to excel at your job and, and do things that, that people, you know, go to school for years to, to learn. You'll learn in eight weeks. So I'll stop rambling, but that's, that's really the thing is like, I am, I'm kind of, um, I'm getting, I'm getting less and less inclined to like take on a bunch of interns because I don't think a lot of people can handle it. And, and now like Taylor's gotten more strict on the selection process. So I want to make sure that if you guys are listening, think it's you, I don't care if you're 20. 25 30 40 i like apply and like let's make it happen because we need more coaches that that really want to do this thing the right way and really i think like you know our biggest thing last year was overcoming competition and and kind of getting rid of the ego um because when we we're in the combine and we we're watching all our guys run i think we had like five different competing speed companies all sitting together cheering for each other and sharing information so um, so the more people that care and are willing to give great effort on the coaching side, faster this industry is seen as a profession that is akin to a doctor, um, where we have standards and we have a gold standard of research and actually sharing and keep communicating at a high level. Yeah. All right, guys. Great. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Les Bowman podcast. If you do me two massive favors, first, please rate the podcast and give it five stars if you enjoyed. If you didn't enjoy it, please still give me five stars. <laughs> Second, please share this podcast with another coach, an athlete, or a parent who wants to learn how speed is developed. Thanks again for listening and check out the podcast description to learn more.